This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, which is now officially four years old. And to celebrate this milestone, I'm sharing with you another replay. This time it's Season 4, Episode 10 from 2018, all about three thinking traps that sabotage your well-being as a teacher. So last week I shared my favourite episode from the last four years of the show, but this week I'm sharing your favourite episode or at least this is the most downloaded episode of the last four years. So it obviously resonated and I think uh, it's a good one to revisit even if you have listened to it before. So like I said, it's about the three thinking traps that sabotage your well-being as a teacher and what to do instead. And I see these thinking traps all the time and I experience them myself too. So please don't feel like you're alone in it. This is, I think these are just part of the human condition, but I also think that our kind of Western patriarchal capitalist culture really hammers some of these into us, like really conditions these into us as well. So like I said, don't feel like you're alone in it. If you recognize yourself in this list, that's okay. Uh, Just sit with that, give yourself kindness and compassion, and then hopefully think about what you can take away from the episode. Um, Of course, you know, this is just three thinking traps. It's not an exhaustive list, but these are some common ones that I see. And I I think it's useful to identify them so that we can then get out of the trap. I've heard Katrina Burke say um, that we have to name it to tame it when talking about our emotions. And I really think it applies here too. Once we are aware of these thinking traps, of course, we can then catch ourselves in the act and redirect our thoughts so that, you know, they're more conducive to supporting ourselves supporting our self-care and our well-being and resilience practices instead of undermining them. So that's the idea behind this. It's not about eliminating this kind of thinking completely because I, I just don't think that's realistic, but it is about being aware of them so that when we notice ourselves doing that, we can say, ah, I notice I'm doing that again. Let me redirect to something else that's going to be you know, more helpful for me today. But before we get to the episode, I also wanted to briefly tell you about the Teacher Wellbeing Persona Quiz in case you don't know about it yet or you haven't taken it yet. So it is a free four-minute quiz that will um, reveal your teacher wellbeing strengths and weaknesses. I um, put it together over the Christmas holidays and I'm really proud of it and I think it's a bit of fun, but it also, um, like I said, it will take about four minutes and it's free. And at the end of it, you will get a like a a list of tips and tricks or strengths and weaknesses. Actually, it's three positives and a polisher uh, that you can take away and apply in your life to support your health, well-being and resilience this year and beyond. So you can go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash quiz to take the quiz. Uh, It will take four minutes and it's free. And I would love to hear what your teacher well-being persona is. So once you've done the quiz, definitely head on over to follow me on Instagram at self-care for teachers and let me know what you got. I'd love to hear it. Okay, 
Now enjoy this replay episode of the three thinking traps that are sabotaging your well-being as a teacher and what to do about them. Let's talk about three thinking traps that sabotage your well-being as a teacher and some ways to help yourself get untrapped, basically. And remember that these are really normal, really common. So if you experience these, just know that you're in good company. Um, of course, it's not an exhaustive list, but there are, you know, these are the top three that I see and I think it's really useful to identify them so that we can get out of the trap. Um, and I've heard Katrina Burke say that we have to name it to tame it when it comes to talking about our emotions. Uh, and I think it applies here too. Once we are aware of these thinking traps, once we have named them, then we can tame them. We can catch ourselves in the act and redirect our thoughts to be more conducive to supporting our self-care and our health and happiness and our well-being instead of, you know, sabotaging it and sabotaging our healthy habits. So the thinking trap number one is us versus them thinking. Also, you could think of it as either or thinking, but I think us versus them is very common in the teaching profession. You know, it's a huge issue um, and I've been there. I get it. I know how seductive this thinking trap is um, and I also know how much it can really infiltrate the culture of schools. Um, who the them is in this us versus them, it does depend. Maybe it's your students, you know, especially the ones that have really strong behavioral issues and just drive you mad. Maybe it's their parents who are really demanding and really rude. Um, maybe it's a particular colleague who is just a total pain in the neck. Maybe, and actually it's probably because this is so common, it's your school administration. They're not supportive of their staff uh, and that's why your well-being is, you know, flagging. Um, now, of course, if you are in a leadership position, it could be just the opposite. The problem is your staff because they're difficult and, you know, you can't implement anything that the department tells you to because the staff just refuse. Um, so that the us versus them thing goes on both sides of the teaching staff or school staff versus administrative staff debate. Um, and, you know, the last one, and this is a really another really common one, you know, it's when we think that the problem is the education system at large, the them in our us versus them is the education system, the standardised testing, the lack of good funding, politicians making bad decisions, you know, that's the them. Um, and the problem, the trap with this kind of thinking is that it keeps us stuck. The underlying message is that because of some external factor or circumstance that we can't control, we are powerless. You know, because that thing is happening, I'm stuck. I'm I'm powerless. And it is just not true. I want to make clear, though, I'm not saying that the external factor or circumstance doesn't exist. Maybe little Johnny or little Jessica is a total nightmare in the classroom. And maybe her mum is a bully and verbally abuses you all the time. And maybe your colleague is shirking their work and you have to pick up the slack. And maybe your school administration team is incompetent and they are not supporting their school staff. Or, you know, flip it, maybe you're the leader and your staff are oppositional and they do block every new initiative you try to implement that is, you know, either mandatory from your department or something that you think will really, really help. And yes, there are very definite issues in our education system at large. Standardised testing, 
is problematic. We do have huge funding gaps in Australian public schools. And politicians do make bad decisions about education all the time. So what? Right? What do you do? You just throw up your hands in defeat and go, well, us first them. I can't do anything about it. That's the way it is. So you finish off another bottle of wine or another block of chocolate or both and you stay up until 3am binging Netflix on a school night and you generally take no responsibility for your health and well-being altogether because you just blame it all on that them. And you can do that if you like. You can blame it all on them, but it's total self-sabotage. It sucks, but the truth is that even amidst all those problems, and they do exist, I'm not denying that they exist, they do exist, but even amidst all those problems, you have power and control over your decisions. Sometimes you've completely run out of emotional and physical resources, and you really don't feel that you can take any steps for yourself. That's burnout. That's demoralization. That's depression, that's anxiety and other mental health concerns. And when that's the case, you need to ask for help. You need to speak to somebody trusted, go and see your doctor, get a mental health care plan, call the employee advisory line for your state. You know, you need to get out of that us and them thinking in that situation so that you actually ask for help. Don't stay by yourself. You are not an island. Ask for help. And then the rest of the time... If that's not where, if you're not in that state of really not being able to manage on your own, at the very least, you can change your thinking about the situation. It's hard, but we can do it. It doesn't necessarily make any difference externally. You know, changing your thinking doesn't necessarily change the circumstance or the person that's causing you such difficulty but it can make a difference to your experience of the situation. It really can. It's not easy. I'm not going to lie. It's really, really difficult. And that's where, you know, getting help can also be valuable. If you want a guide, uh, a coach or a counsellor, somebody that can help you reframe and, and refocus where you want to focus that's more you know, empowered and more more positive than just getting stuck in that blame and shame cycle. And if it is a difficult person that you're dealing with, I invite you to go back and listen to season three, episode four, which is all about dealing with difficult people. And I also, another book recommendation, I highly recommend Harriet Lerner's books, The Dance of Anger and The Dance of Connection. Um, one of my favorite quotes from them is, there is nothing wrong with wanting to change someone else. The problem is it usually doesn't work. So, you know, we can rail against that all the time and just get stuck in that thinking of us versus them. But it just keeps us stuck because we can't actually change anybody else. And usually if we're in that place, we're not likely to be acting in a way that is likely to encourage others to change or, you know, make positive changes in the situation. So the trap is that us and them thinking, you know, keeping us stuck that because the school admin team don't have a well-being program in place, my health sucks, or because the parent of one of my students is a complete bully, I can't set any boundaries. Um, you know, it's that kind of thinking. And that's not obvious. It's a bit more subconscious than that, but that is what's going on. Um, and the way to get yourself unstuck and out of that trap is just to remind yourself 
two things, and they're kind of paradoxical, paradoxical, but two things. Firstly, the only person I can control is myself. And secondly, we are all connected. And again, I'm going to refer back to Harriet Lerner and a quote from the book, The Dance of Anger. She says, we cannot make another person change his or her steps to the old dance. But if we change our own steps, the dance can no longer continue in the same predictable pattern. So if you're stuck in this thinking trap of us versus them, turn your focus away from that external factor, that circumstance or that person and come back to you, to what you can control. What is one thing that you can do today to improve your life, your health and your well-being? When you stay focused on what you can control and the steps that you can take to change the dance, it changes your experience of the situation regardless of what happens externally. But it you know, as Harriet Lerner says, you change your steps in the dance and the dance can't be the same as it was. It may not be where you want it to be, but it can't be the same as it was. So that's number one. The trap is getting stuck in that us and them thinking and then letting it, you know, paralyze you and keeping you stuck. And the way to get out of it is to focus back on you. What can you control? And then remember that we're all connected. So if you make a shift, it does have a flow on effect. Okay, thinking trap number two. When X, then I'll Y. When X happens, then I will do Y. So for example, when I lose 10 kilos, then I will go on that beach holiday. When I get that new thing, that new car, that new house, that new outfit, then I'll be happy. When I've cleared my inbox, then I'll go to bed. (laughs) And of course, the very common When it's school holidays, then I'll take care of myself. Sound familiar? (laughs) It's such a huge sabotage in terms of your health and happiness and your well-being. It's so common for teachers. You know, constantly getting caught in this trap of thinking that whatever it is that you want or need is just around the corner, but it's not here or now. You can't have it now. It's, It's just around the corner. It's just over that bend. It's when you get that thing or when it is that time. And okay, sure, sometimes it's a busy week and, you know, there's not long left till holidays and we do just need to decide not to do this thing until the holidays. Like, just put that off for a week and I'll do that on, you know, the first Monday of the holidays, which is only 10 days away. Uh, Yeah, definitely that happens. But many of us take it to the extreme. It is so common for teachers to let all their healthy habits slide for most of each term. And that's a problem because if you only look after your health and well-being in the school holidays, that's an awful lot of your life that you're not looking after your health and well-being. I remember one of my very experienced colleagues, Beryl, said something to me in my second year of teaching that really, really, really stuck with me. Somebody else in the staff room had been counting down till the holidays. And of course, you know, there's, there's benefit in that. It's nice to have something to look forward to. We all look forward to the holidays. But On this particular day, this person had said it in a way that made it clear that they really hated the day-to-day life of school term and they were living for the holidays. And, you know, Beryl said later, thinking like that, you will wish your life away. And it really hit me because it's true. Of course, we all look forward to the holidays, but term time is most of our lives. So if we are living for the holidays, we are really missing out on a lot of our lives 
And we have to find ways to look after ourselves during the term too because it's most of our lives. We've got to find a baseline of healthy habits that we can stick to so we can actually get to the end of term with some gas left in the tank. The other problem with this kind of when X happens, then I will Y thinking is that so many of us use it in a way that suggests that we have to earn our self-care through hard work. As in, when I get through my to-do list, then I'll go to bed. When my lesson plans are, you know, finished, but really we mean perfect, then I'll go to yoga. When I finish the report cards, you know, later in the week, then I'll have a bath. When I've lost 10 kilos, then I'll go to the beach. And that's problematic because it basically suggests that we are not enough as we are, that we don't deserve our self-care or even pleasure until we're totally depleted, which it's just false. Sure, it's nice to have something set up for a reward when the report cards are finished. Absolutely. But don't deny yourself your own care because there is still work left to do tomorrow or next week. There will always be work to do, but your ability to do it actually depends on how well you care for yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup. I find that this when X, then Y thinking happens, you know, with regards to well-being and healthy habits, it often stems from a belief that self-care is selfish, that self-care is indulgence. And I am here to tell you that it is not. Literally, that is my aim with self-care for teachers. That's pretty much my only message. Um, I want you to know that you are enough already, always, just as you are, and you are worthy of your own care right now. No matter how imperfect your body or your lesson plans or your life or your clutter or your paperwork, you are enough. The to-do list will never be done. Not really. It's up to you to set some boundaries and to put first things first. Your health and well-being really matter because they are your ability to do the work, to show up and teach those kids effectively, to make a difference in the world, to rage against the machine, right? You cannot protest if you are absolutely, and I know that many teachers do feel this way, if you really hate standardized testing and you are really starting to feel the fire in your belly about wanting to do something about that and wanting to make some political change in the education space, you cannot do that if you are exhausted, if you are burnt out, if you are demoralized, if you are depressed. You can't show up and and make those changes if you've got nothing in your tank. And if you've never lost your health, You may not realize that, but I promise you it's true. You are a person first and a teacher second. You have to look after the person because the teacher can't exist without the person. So this thinking trap of when X happens, when it is this time, then I will look after myself. You know, the way to get out of that thinking trap is just to reaffirm for yourself that you don't have to earn self-care through sheer exhaustion. You don't have to earn it. It is not a privilege. It is a right. It is your body. It is your health. It is your life. And you are allowed to look after it. You are enough. You are enough right now, already, always. You are worthy of your own care. And nobody else has as vested an interest in your own care, in your own health, your own well-being as you. So please, refocus when you catch yourself thinking, oh, I won't 
take the extra 10 minutes to, you know, cook a healthy meal tonight. I'll just get takeaway on the way home because, you know, I've got so much to do and I can't afford the time to, you know, cook properly. Just catch yourself in that thinking and remind yourself that it's not true. You can afford that time. If you find yourself thinking about, oh, no, I'll skip the gym today because I I just have to get through these report cards or, oh, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll stay up until 2 a.m. just because I just want to finish. I just want to make this a little bit better. I just want to revise this. And, you know, if you're catching yourself in those thinking patterns, just acknowledge it. Be really kind to yourself. It's okay. We all do it. And then remind yourself that actually it's a trap. It's not true. Your ability to do the work actually does depend on whether you have adequately taken care of your physical and emotional health. And if your body and your mind is sending you signals that you need to be looking after yourself, please listen. You are worthy. You do not have to earn your self-care through sheer exhaustion. Just remind yourself of that. Okay, and thinking trap number three is when you get stuck in all or nothing thinking. And either you are sticking to your healthy habits all the time and once you slip up, you throw the whole thing in. That's probably my biggest problem. I I am getting better at it over time, but this is this is the one that continues to sabotage me. Um, now, a word about this, about this all or nothing thinking. Habits researcher and author Gretchen Rubin, she says that some people are abstainers and some people are moderators. And by that, she means that some people are able to, for example, have just one square of chocolate and then put the block away. And then tomorrow they'll have just another one square and then they'll put the block away. And then tomorrow, the day after that, they'll have one more square of chocolate and put the block away. Many people, including myself, really struggle with that though. You know, they find it easier to just have no chocolate at all because once they have one piece, they eat the whole block. Now, I'm using food as an example because I think it's the one many of us understand. Um, and by the way, if you figure out that you are an abstainer, somebody that, you know, finds it easier to have none rather than have one or a little bit of something, um, just remember that it's not about trying to make yourself into a moderator or vice versa, by the way. It's just about accepting yourself as you are. Name it to tame it, remember? Notice it, acknowledge it, and be okay with it. And then work with that tendency of yourself instead of against it. So for me, I don't try to moderate my intake of potato chips. I just really need to cut them out altogether because it's not... You know, it's, it's true that all things in moderation, but moderation is so difficult for me with potato chips. And there really isn't any positive to eating just a few of them anyway, so I'll just cut them out, right? And then I don't have to think about it. But this doesn't just apply to food. It obviously does apply to food for most of us, but it can also apply in many, many areas of life. And in my experience, I can be an abstainer in one area and a moderator in another area. Or even I can be, I, there are some like potato chips I just need to be an abstainer with, but there are other things like alcohol that I can moderate fairly well. I, For whatever reason, I'm okay with just having one glass and no more. But alcohol is one of those ones that some people really just need to say, no, I can't have any because if I have one, I'll have way too many. So it's not a hard and fast thing. It's not like you're an abstainer all the time forever. Well, you might be, but a lot of people will find that they have that abstainer kind of thing going on in one area and the moderator thing going on in another area, and that's okay. Um, so I just want you to, you know, 
reflect on that and think about where you are a moderator and where you are an abstainer. And if you notice that you're a moderator, you know, for example, you can have just one Tim Tam and leave the rest of the packet for tomorrow. Cool. Great. That's an area where this is fine, right? But maybe you notice that if you skip your workout on Monday because, you know, the staff meeting ran late or something, then you often use it as an excuse to do no exercise for the rest of the week or even the rest of the month. <laughs> um, or maybe you stay up pa- a bit past bedtime on a school night because you watched an extra episode of something on Netflix and then you get to the end of that episode and you go, oh, well, I already missed bedtime. Might as well finish the series. Next minute, it's 2 a.m. and you're wide awake wondering how can you possibly wait until next season to find out what happens because it ended on a cliffhanger. Whatever area it is, many of us do this. This is a really common human behavioral thing. We completely sabotage ourselves after just a little slip or sometimes an unavoidable interruption of our healthy habits. And it's that all or nothing thinking. So we think that because we couldn't do all of it, because we couldn't be perfect, it's perfectionism, you know, in and of itself. Um, because we couldn't do all of it, we'll do none of it. What I find really interesting, though, is that most of us don't do this in all areas of life. There are likely lots of places that you are comfortable with the discomfort of having been imperfect or inconsistent and you don't throw the whole thing away. For example, if you drop your phone and it gets a small crack in the corner, I'm guessing you don't then throw it on the ground and stamp on it until the whole screen is completely smashed. Most people wouldn't do that. They go, right, okay, I've got a small, tiny little chip in the corner of my phone screen, but I'll just keep using it and I'll try and be really careful. Or, for example, what if you fall asleep and forget to brush your teeth one night? I'm guessing you don't then get up the next morning and decide to never brush your teeth ever again because you were such a failure for forgetting to brush your teeth last night. You probably don't even think about it. You're probably like, okay, well, I'll brush my teeth this morning, obviously, uh, and I'll just try and remember to brush my teeth before I go to bed tonight. I'll be extra careful with that, you know? Like, you don't beat yourself up about it. You don't make a big deal out of it. You just go, okay, well, I forgot. Oh, well. Nothing has meaning but the meaning that we give it, right? And this all or nothing nothing thinking is just a trap in the way we think. We don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe everything that you think. But it's also like it's a bit of a paradox. It's also the case in reverse. When we're because obviously they were just talking about sticking to healthy habits, keeping them going. But it's when we're trying to add new healthy habits as well, many of us struggle to do it sustainably because we try and do all instead of nothing. We notice we've been doing nothing and so we try and, you know, do all of it. We try and do too much too soon instead of changing just one habit at a time. Like instead of just changing our eating habits to be more healthy, we also add in a whole new rigorous gym program and do a declutter your whole house in 30 days challenge in the same, you know, month. By day five, the whole thing starts to get a bit wobbly because it's lots of change all at once. By day 10, we're pretty much back into our old habits. And that's pretty much why most people's New Year's resolutions don't work because it's too much too soon without a plan or with a completely unsustainable plan. And I think I mentioned it already, let this be a reminder to you to sign up to my newsletter and follow on social media so that you can get the updates because I have a gentle New Year's resolution program coming up in the new year, uh, funnily enough. And, you know, it's to help you with some sustainable care, self-care habits through January to set you up for the rest of the year as well. So go and sign up for that. Go and sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss the updates about that. If this is something that you notice in yourself that you think, yeah, you could use a little bit of accountability around. 
And if you find that you do run into the all or nothing trap with your healthy habits, the way to get unstuck is just to remind yourself to to pace yourself. It's that old adage, slow and steady wins the race. Or how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. (laughs) Don't try and change all your habits at once. Don't choke on the elephant. (laughs) Just choose one. Do it really well. And then once that habit is on autopilot, then you can add something else, another new habit. So for me, this is really relevant right now. I have been working very, very hard on my sleep. Uh, in the, and I say working very hard. I mean, I've been making some conscious and deliberate changes to try and support me to have really good, healthy, quality sleep. And now that I feel like that's starting to tick along more, more easily, uh, I am refocusing again on my food because that had really slipped and I can definitely notice a difference in my digestion. So I'm going back to the, the gut, you know, healthy gut, good microbiome stuff. And um, because I feel now that the, the sleep is starting to be a bit more consistent and, and I can shift my focus a bit, it doesn't need so much focus to keep that going now. It's starting to be not completely on autopilot, but it's getting there. There's also, I like the metaphor of the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I particularly like it in this case because I like to also remind myself and remind you that while we're on that journey of a thousand miles, we have to remember that the obstacle is the path. The temptation to slip up, you know, to eat the whole packet of Tim Tams or to let your good habits slide, you know, it's all part of the process. The obstacle is the path. And if you do slip or something does unavoidably interrupt your normal schedule and that makes you miss a workout or lose sleep or something, remember that you can just carry on with the journey without letting it throw you completely off track. So the solution to the all or nothing thinking is just to remember that every journey begins with one step and then another, one foot in front of the other, and that the obstacle is the path. One final word about obstacles in the path. You know how they say that courage is not the absence of fear, it's being afraid and doing the thing anyway? Well, self-care is not the absence of any stresses or problems or obstacles. It's a trap to think that we'll only practice self-care when life is perfect, right? And self-care is not all massages and manicures and meditation sessions where your mind is actually clear. Most of the time, more often than not, it's chores and eating vegetables and meditation sessions where your mind has thoughts the whole damn time. That is the self-care. That's the process. The obstacle is the path. Even more than that, sometimes self-care is looking at the hardest, most difficult parts of yourself and your life and examining your own habits and patterns that are contributing to landing you in that situation And owning the parts and the places where you have the power to make change. So remember coming back to what can you focus on? What are you in control of? All the while you have to be exceptionally gentle with yourself in your own mind. And gentle doesn't mean letting yourself off the hook, by the way. It means acknowledging that something might be difficult or painful or uncomfortable and finding ways to support yourself and comfort yourself in the midst of that pain. That's what gentle means. It doesn't mean letting yourself off the hook. So sometimes, if we continue with this metaphor, sometimes the path is relatively smooth and those times you might just have to tend to the weeds around the edges, but things are pretty easy. Other times you might need to watch your step because there are obstacles and you don't want to trip. Other times the obstacles may be so big 
that you have to bring in a backhoe to help you move them. Radical landscaping is sometimes required. And sometimes there's a mountain in your path and you are exhausted, but you can either stay stuck, start to climb, or learn how to make a tunnel. They're your options, right? I know you're tired. I know you are. So whichever part of the path you find yourself on, be very kind to yourself. The self-care that you need at each stage of the path will be different. And sometimes the self-care will be painful. It will. I'm sorry. But it doesn't mean it's not worth it. It is. You are a person first and a teacher second. You're a person first and a student, a parent, a child, a spouse, a sibling, a friend, an engaged citizen of the country, of the world second. You are worthy and deserving and entirely allowed your own care. So let that be the message that you take with you. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.